Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. Welcome back to part two of episode 163, where I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Lipton. If this is the first time that you've pushed play on this podcast, I'm going to invite you to press pause and head back and check out part one for the incredible conversation that I've had so far with Dr. Bruce. It lasts an hour and 20 minutes in total, which is why I've made it a two-part special episode to give you plenty of time to allow that wisdom to sink in. We continue this episode where we left it off. Bruce continues to share his 50 years plus experience of science and cell biology. There are going to be things that will be new to you that will be counter to the worldview that many people hold. I invite you to continue to listen to this episode with curiosity and open mind. And I reiterate, this is not medical advice, but an extension and an invitation to you to seek your own experiences. Here we go, let's finish this incredible conversation, part two, episode 163 with Dr. Bruce Lipton. You talked about um, in, in your Biology of Belief book is that when a cell isn't in harmony, the first thing you need to do is, is it's the environment, stupid. Look at the environment. And, and I guess there are so many times where I've just shuddered at the the phrase it's okay to not be okay and, and i get that concept around mental health but i almost want to just say to people it's the environment stupid <laughs> how well, how that, might uh, i phrase that in a more tactile way to, to people <laughs> to help them realize that well, maybe... it, it, it's basically to recognize this is the status of my health a reflection of what's going on in, on the inside and i said no the status of your health is a reflection of what's going on on the outside yeah uh, and if you're not dealing with the outside in, a, in an open way to support and be the gardener yeah then you are destroying the garden without contributing anything positive we're stepping all over it and the web of life is collapsing that's why we're facing what is called the sixth mass extinction of life human behavior mm. is undermining nature and it's like oh yeah but the indigenous people was the other way around nature is a garden let's go and help nature okay you know i mean i can just imagine uh, like the Native Americans, when they needed a buffalo, they used every little piece of that buffalo. Every piece, the skin, the hooves, the bones, the meat, everything was used. And then the white people came west and what did they want? Buffalo skin. And there were thousands of buffalo. What did they do? Shoot, thousand buffalo. And then do what? Take the skin, leave all the rest of the buffalo on the ground. Mm. The Indians were like, what you crazy people you're crazy mm. so we killed them so now there's nobody to say we're crazy anymore you know <laughs> get rid of the indigenous people yeah. why because they're the ones that are spiritual and in connection with the earth and its harmony interesting point wherever britain took over a country they essentially rounded up and defeated the indigenous people because they had a different belief system. The indigenous people were the ones that would kill one buffalo. The <laughs> people who came over killed a thousand buffalo. Don't even care about the meat. Don't care about anything, just leave it rot. Oh, beavers, we're gonna make beaver hats. Kill all the beavers, make lots of hats. And I go, so our world is antagonistic to the indigenous people. Yeah. 
And therefore, the big issue was to eliminate the indigenous people. Mm. And they did that. In America, they killed millions of Native American Indians. In Canada, they did the same thing. Aboriginals in Australia, they did the same thing wherever they went, okay? Mm. Africa, wherever. Except New Zealand. Mm. I go, what's different about New Zealand? The British Army couldn't beat the natives. The Maori were much more fierce warriors than the British could ever imagine. Mm. And it's the only country on this planet where the British had to sign a treaty with the natives because they couldn't get rid of them. Mm. I go, and what's the significance today of that? And I go, the Maori Aboriginal voice is part of the government, part of the culture, part of the world. Their spirituality built into the country because it's built from the original Maori who were there. They even have such honoring of the environment that they were the, one of the first countries to do what? Take a piece of the environment that they felt was, you know, their spiritual places, certain like a mountain, like Mount Taranaki, which looks like uh, Mount Fuji in Japan. Uh, uh, and what did they do? They took the area, they marked it off, and then they said, what? We're going to have people represent nature. So while people had government representatives in the government representing them, mm. that three or four different sites in, in New Zealand now are run by actually people who represent nature. Mm. So before you go into Mount Taranaki area, you have to get the approval of the local representatives of nature before you could disturb nature. And all of a sudden, they, that was a, one of the first places on the planet where nature was given a voice for the first time that said, don't destroy this piece of property right here. This is spiritual and safe from you. And the rest of the world says, ah, if you can take something out of it, get it. Mm -hmm. You know, what we do to the American natives we gave them the worst piece of crap land after we pushed them off from the fertile, rich, beautiful places they live and said, you can live in the desert. <laughs> and that was really cool until guess what? Mm. Ooh, you got uranium under your desert. Well, now move you over, go over here because we're gonna take the uranium. Uh, and so basically we got rid of indigenous belief and I go, but the indigenous people were the only ones, the Druids in England and, and around that area. We're the only ones that recognize nature as a living system. Yeah, and uh, uh, we we don't own nature. That's a a, a a mission statement of science from Francis Bacon way back. Francis Bacon set the mission statement of science, which mm -hmm. is what to control and dominate nature. That's mm -hmm. the mission. Mm -hmm. And and I said, well, how's that working out? I go, well, we're facing a mass extinction. I don't think it's working out pretty good yeah, not, because yeah. we've undermined nature to the point it won't support us. My friends, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for being here with us. I really hope that you're enjoying the interview so far. At Always Better Than Yesterday, we love to create a greenhouse, which is an environment in which people grow. We've been running our Facebook greenhouse. We are always better than yesterday now and for nearly five years. We have some amazing, like-hearted, like-minded human beings from all around the world. And I'd love to invite you uh, an invitation to come and join us. We've also recently established a new greenhouse over on Discord. You can check out the links to both our Facebook and our Discord communities in the show notes. And here we go. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah. That's so really powerful. 
and I think you've touched on this a couple of times, often it's follow the money. So much of our corporations attack our lack. And I was listening to um, the honeymoon effect this morning and you were talking about the, the inspiration we might get from the noble gases. And I think that um, so often if uh, maybe this will be for our, our, our listeners to, to read up on, but if we could lead like a noble gas, which means uh, to lack nothing, then, then maybe we can, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Why? Well, that's why? a mission statement. Uh, so let's just say, what the heck are the noble guests? I say, you know, the periodic table of elements, there's 116 or so elements, all different ones, and they're in columns. And the one column called noble gases is helium, argon, krypton, xenon, strange gases like that. And I go, what's unique about them And versus 90 plus of the other ones? I say, they don't make chemistry. In other words, you don't find like helium chloride. I say, no, helium doesn't form chemistry. I go, why not? Because of all the atoms, the noble gases, the only ones that have spin perfect balance, they, because the electrons are all perfectly packed in the right order. Take time to talk about it, but <laughs> the order of the electrons is perfect balance. So all atoms spin like tornadoes. If an atom is in balance, it spins like a perfect top spins perfectly but if an atom is out of balance because the number of electrons is too few or too many then it wobbles like this and i go significance is noble gases don't wobble they spin perfectly i say well what about the wobble ones i say well they don't want to wobble because wobbling is inefficient and breaks down the power of the atom because it's wasting energy. So what's it going to do? It's going to find another one that's wobbling. And I say, but when the two come together, now they spin in perfect balance. Yeah. So the other elements on the periodic table make chemistry. They look for another atom to compromise and give them the balance that they didn't have so they wouldn't wobble. So I say, so what's the difference? I say, well, consider this. Of all the other atoms, those are called codependent relationships. Why should sodium hook up with you know, uh, chlorine? Because when they come together, they're in perfect balance. If the chlorine leaves, then the sodium is wobbly again. So what's the issue is salt, sodium chloride, doesn't want to separate the sodium from the chlorine because if you do, then they're both back into wobbling again. And I say, well, they're all wobbling. I say, what's the noble gas doing? Spinning perfect. I say mm. the significance of that is it's not influenced by wobbly other atoms. The wobbly atoms and the noble gas, they don't, they're, they're in the same place, but the, the noble gas doesn't respond. Why? It's in perfect balance. I don't need anybody. Okay. And I say, then what else is unique about it? Because the, when I was putting all this together, I said, oh, poor helium and noble gases, they don't ever have a relationship. They're all by themselves. And then I found out, oh my God, lasers are uh, devices with noble gases in the tube uh, of the laser tube. And when they put uh, light into the tube, the noble gases absorb a photons of light. And I go, well, what happens? They were spinning in perfect balance and a photon hits them. That's energy, boom. What happens? It's, it's still spinning, but with more power and perfect balance. And then I said, well, what happens when a noble gas gets hit with a photon? It gets enlightened, photon enlightened. It will hook up with another noble gas. 
when the two noble gases come together and they're both in balance and they got a photon, they give off laser light. I go, oh, when we talk about any other atoms, two atoms come together, it's called a dimer, meaning two of them, dimer, come together, two. That's a dimer, two atoms. And I say, well, what happens when noble gases come together? Two noble gases come together. Well, officially it's a dimer, but there's another name. It's called excitomer. An excitomer means that this combination of two noble gases is high energy and gives off light. So I go, okay, are you a noble gas in the periodic table or are you another atom in the periodic table? I say, the difference is this. Uh, are we still recording there, Ryan? There we go. I am back. Sorry, I lost internet connection. Was, was I still recording while you were gone? Absolutely. I'm sure you were dropping some absolute gold. I talked some good stuff in there because <laughs> what I was talking about was basically says this. If we're not in balance as yeah. individuals and we represent the 90 other chemical elements in the table, it says we're out of balance. The only way I'm going to find peace in here is to find somebody else and make a relationship but then I'm going to call it a codependent relationship because if they break up, then one of them is going to be afraid. No, don't leave. I need you. You can abuse me, but stay. I go, that's codependency. And I said, what about uh, helium? Let's say if it hooks up with another helium, I said, it's not codependency. They're both spin balanced perfect anyway. They can live with each other or they don't have to live with each other, but it doesn't throw them off either way. Uh, and so I refer to the noble gas as agape love, meaning mm -hmm. everything in my world is in balance. Yeah. I'm a oh. noble gas. Uh, and people have to move out of their imbalance into living in harmony, balance. And when we become that way, then all of a sudden the world is living in love and balance and spin and harmony versus today where wobbling atoms are colliding with each other and creating all kinds of heat and all kinds of other issues i go so what do i want to be i said i don't want to be a wobbly atom i say well, how do i get the spin and balance i go knowledge when i have knowledge i am a free independent element i could hook up with somebody if i want uh even if i hooked up with another atom and they were a crazy atom if they were a crazy atom I say, I'm not going to be wobbly because they're crazy. I'm in balance. So I could like somebody, even if they're a wobbly, but they don't affect me in a wobble. So we have to clear ourselves. So I say, well, how do you clear yourself? I say, we got to learn how to live in harmony with ourselves and with the environment around us. And then, uh, you know, it's important because I see we're, you know, time is a pain right here for us because I want to talk more. But, but I think if I was going to leave one of the most important caveats in the whole world is, is this. When we were young and growing up in our developmental era, we were being programmed by observing our parents and our community and learning how, what behaviors are necessary to be a member of a family and a community by observing them and then emulating their behavior. We download their behavior. I go, well, this is really cool, but most of that behavior is critical of us. Parents trying mm -hmm. to get us to do better. That's not good enough. You don't deserve mm -hmm. this. Who do you think you are? And I go, child under seven, hears these mm -hmm. things. They're not conscious to interpret, oh, dad's just saying that because I'm not being a good person right now and he wants me to be better. That would be what would be the nice result. 
A child under seven doesn't understand it, just records it. I say, so what did I get when I was under seven if my parent was being like a coach? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not lovable enough. I go, oh, so your programming that you got under seven wasn't in harmony. I go, relevance. We live 95% of our life from that program. And I go, so what does it mean if I'm critical of myself because that was the program, not good enough, not smart enough. And then I look at myself, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Why my parents told me that, that's my program. I say, here it is. When you criticize like that, you can't love yourself. Because the moment you say, I love myself, then all of a sudden the critical, well, I love myself, but I'm not lovable but I'm not deserving, okay? And I go, so here's the conclusion, and this is why I wanna make it so important. I work in belief change groups where we, we come in and you have to check your beliefs and you do muscle testing, which we could talk about, but it's a valid way of understanding what programs you have in your subconscious. Mm. And here's the point of finally getting to it. <laughs> The question that I have them ask before we start any of the programs of belief change is, test for the belief, I love myself. I'm gonna give you the answer. Between 80 to 90% of every audience, that means between eight and nine out of 10 people and every audience will not test positive for I love myself. Why? Because of the critical programming they got in the first seven years that criticized their life. And I go, mm -hmm. relevance, most important thing in the world. If I don't love myself, how can you love me? Because if you oh. say you love me, and then I have to go, well, obviously you don't have quality control. I know I'm not lovable. How can you love me? And then you push them away. And then guess what? Now you're alone. And guess what you say? You see? I'm not lovable. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, wow. Before we can become the productive elements of this society, the first thing we have to do is love ourselves. Because mm -hmm. if you don't love yourself, you're not going to work in harmony with yourself or anyone else. And, and since the number is so high, 80 to 90%, I say, you want to fix the problem in the world? Uh, old hippie, old hippie thing. You were way young, Ryan, when I was there during the hippie days, okay? And I go, what was the statement that applies to this right now? And the statement was this. Before you go out and change the world, take care of your own backyard. Mm. What does that mean? It says, well, if I'm not living in harmony with myself, how can I go out and tell the world to live in harmony with itself? I say, I can't do mm. that. I have to be able to be the one that's living in harmony. So when I go out there, I say, look what living in harmony is. It's really great. You want to do it? It's great. Okay. But I can't go out there and not be in harmony with myself and tell them to be in harmony. And that was one of the biggest wake up calls for myself. But I also recognize being just an average person on the street. It's probably the biggest wake up call for all of us yeah. is do I love myself? Because the answer is this, if you do not love yourself, you will not manifest a, a life you want to have on this planet. Because you'll always be questioning, you, you, you know, your own self. Uh, not good enough. Mm. Not I want to be super respectful of your time. And just first, thank you. Thank you for all the great work that you've done thank you for the inspiration thank you for the impact that you've had on my friend phil who's then subsequently had an impact on me and um i'd just love to know what the phrase always better than yesterday means to you 
always better than yesterday. Is that the phrase? Yep. Okay. Well, this is what I'm talking about right now. I'm, I'm looking at my life from a place of not being in love with myself. And I'm going, it just doesn't work. I can't get a relationship off the ground. I'm not happy in any place I try. I'm looking for love, but it always is rejecting me, whether it's a love of a person, love of a pet, love of a job. I mean, people think of love as like, oh, it's two people. I go, well, look, you can, if you're a chef, you can be in love with cooking. If you're a gardener, you can be in love, put your hands in the dirt and dig up plants and do all that stuff. You're an artist. You could be creating. You're in love doing this stuff. So being in love means you're in harmony with your world that you're dealing with out there, okay? Disharmony, harmony is health. Disharmony is disease. Mm. And when we're in disharmony, the more disharmony we're in, the more our body will reflect the disharmony on the inside. What we are doing on the outside reverberates what's going on on the inside. If you're not in harmony with the world around you, then your health is already compromised. That's a given right now. And if your health is compromised, then you become a victim because the so-called COVID, if you're a healthy person, COVID, you can get COVID, go through a miserable 10 days or so of you know flu garbage. Bleh. But after that 10 days, guess what? You are now totally immune to that. That, that system, not like a vaccine. Uh, uh, and I say, well, who are the ones that are getting sick in this COVID plague? I go, compromised people are getting sick. Healthy people are not getting sick. I said, what do you mean compromised? I go, anything that challenges your vitality before the virus even shows up. I say like what? Diabetes, heart conditions, okay? Uh, obesity is the big one. Like 78% of serious COVID patients are obese. It's like, what a coincidence. I said, it's not a coincidence. 78% is not a coincidence. Yeah. And I go, in the US, because we're a sickly nation, I go, 60% of Americans have one comorbidity. Okay, mm. Ooh, that's, that's not good. No, yeah. that's not the issue. 40% of Americans have between two and three simultaneous comorbidities. Oh, they're overweight and they have diabetes, okay? Or they have diabetes and they have a heart issue. Mm -hmm. Or they're in stress and they got this. I go, two to three comorbidities and four out of 10 people. When the virus comes, the, <laughs> the six out of 10 people are not gonna have a serious issue with it. No. But the four out of 10 people, they're already compromised before the damn virus showed up. Who got sick? not healthy people, compromised people. I say, you wanna make the compromise worse? I go, what, watch the news. <laughs> because that will then do what? Cause more stress hormones, which do what? Shut down the immune system. The more you watch the news, the more open you are for COVID infection. And, and so we are blaming the COVID for, ooh, that's a lethal virus. I go, no, it's not. Mm. If you're a weak person, then you got a problem. If you're a healthy person, you could get through this and come out the other side and be perfectly immune forever from this COVID thing. If you don't get the COVID, then you, you're not really building up an immune protection from it. So at some point, we all got to get the damn COVID so we can get it over with and get the immune protection. Why? Because the vaccine does not work, period. One doesn't work. What did it, what was the original definition of why the vaccine? It will prevent the serious 
consequences of a COVID infected patient. And I go, the serious consequences. I say, oh, does the vaccine stop you from getting COVID? Nope. Does the vaccine stop you from transmitting COVID? Nope. But if you do get COVID and you're in the hospital under serious conditions, the vaccine could have helped. I said, well, who were the ones that are in, in serious conditions? I'd say, these were already compromised before the vaccine, you know, before the virus got there. And so that we're living in a belief that the virus is so powerful, it's taking us. And I go, no, we are so weak that the virus is taking us. Mm. The, vi the virus is eliminating the weakest people. Who? Mm. The oldest people. Greatest percentage of COVID death is in old people in nursing homes. I go, oh, that's the definition of a person who's already compromised. Mm. If they're living in a nursing home, they're already unhealthy. That's already start the game they're the most susceptible. And then you just go down the list and then say, who are the most compromised? Hmm. And then you start to find, oh, obesity, diabetes, heart problems, stress levels. These are characters of the compromise. And if you're in the, and you're having problem with these things, you're the one that has to take care of your health. Me, in this particular case, I'll just say, I don't give a damn. <laughs> Why? I'm good. Mm -hmm. I got a healthy system. I love myself. Mm. I got a great, you know, it's all working beautifully. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Bruce, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your heart and your mind. <laughs> I will share all your good links and the links to your book within the show notes. So just be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Yeah, I could tell you what it is. We're facing an evolutionary upheaval. I say, what is the practical means of surviving this upheaval and the answer is learn to live in community with each other and with nature because when we become balanced like a noble gas we're all powerful walk across hot coals only do it if your consciousness is right uh, i talk about people in the south religious work themselves up in a religious ecstasy and they do something called testify and i go what is testify testify they do something no normal person in their right mind would ever do but they do it because they believe god protects them so they play with poisonous snakes like rattlesnakes and things like that most of the time although there are exceptions most of the time they get bitten by these snakes they don't have any fallout any bad problem and i go oh that's cool and i go here's the one that really is the one if you get it it's like ah and that is they drink strychnine poison in toxic doses to demonstrate that God will protect them. And they drink this poison and have no harmful consequences. You go, you're drinking outright damn poison because God is there? I say, no, the belief, <laughs> God mm. is there. And I say, it's the belief. You want to walk across the hot coals? You better damn well have the belief that that's not a problem and you're going to the other side. But you can't walk across the coals and get in the middle and say, can I really do <laughs> the moment yeah. you question is the moment you get burned because you lost the power of that power of belief because we are creators. And that's what the whole damn story comes down to because we have always been led to believe we are the victims of the world. I say, no, you are the creator of this world. And I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Religion is manipulation, a business of spirit. Mm. Oh, join our religion. We're going to help you spiritually. Give us 10%. <laughs> I go, oh, <laughs> like this, you know. Uh, 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 and the idea about this is 
when you're very spiritual, you realize who you are. And I go, you don't even listen to, like in the Christian world, they don't even listen to the philosophy of Jesus. And he said, what? He said, all the miracles that I can do, you can do them better than I can do them. Mm-hmm. So, well, with that admonition, how come we're not doing the creating of miracles? Because I'm afraid. I go, well, then, <laughs> then you don't have that power anymore. You lost it. And it's a wake-up call. And I'm glad you're there, Ryan, because to me, it's very important. I, you and I could talk alone in a room, and this would be great and exciting. But I want to thank you because you provide an audience, just any one person who stops long enough to say, wait a minute, let me look, let me look into this. Let me check it. Those are the people that have the first opportunity to get out of the problems and start manifesting the world that they want. Can you do it? And I go, well, that's why I wrote the book called The Honeymoon Effect. I say, because we've been programmed and we're living out the programs that we got in the first seven years by observing our parents who told us how weak or however we are, we live by those programs. And I go, every day your life is blah, blah, blah. So every day, blah, 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 blah. And then you meet somebody and you fall in love. There's the beautiful part. Most of us have done it at least once. You meet somebody, you fall in love. 24 hours later, you're living heaven on earth. Oh my God, I'm so in love. Everything is beautiful. The food, the music is great. Even the job's not so crappy anymore. I'm in love. I go, 24 hours? You went from blah, 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 and 24 hours later, heaven on earth? And I go, it's not an accident. It is a demonstration uh, the first time you stopped playing the negative programs mm. and you started living from creative programs. Mm. I want to create heaven on earth. Your partner wants to create heaven on earth. You mm. fall in love. You are now creating heaven on earth. Okay. And I go, why? Because you stopped playing the programs that we play 95% of the day. And I say, program? Yeah, what you learned in the first seven years of your life. Mm. Uh, and the Jesuits, uh, you know, They've told their followers for 400 years. They mm-hmm. said, give me a child until it is seven. I will show you the man. People didn't understand what the yep. hell they were talking about. Mm. I can tell you what they were talking about. Whatever program you got in the first seven years, 95% of your life is coming from that program. If that program has uh, weakness, disabilities built into it, disempowerment, self-sabotaging behaviors, then 95% of your life is coming from that. The conscious creative mind only 5%, and that's the one that has wishes and desires. Mm. So when you fall in love, it's the equivalent of taking the red pill in the movie, The Matrix. You stop playing the program. I said, what happens when you start playing, stop playing the program? Then you start creating with what? Conscious mind, wishes and desires. So immediately, blah, 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 I stopped, that's the red pill. I fell in love. Mm. 24 hours later, I'm not playing programs anymore. I'm creating what the miracles i'm creating love i'm creating happiness i love the world i love everything i go 24 hours i go that's all it took to stop playing the program because that's what science has recognized we do not play the programs when we fall in love like that for a period of time say what's that period of time that's called the honeymoon i say then what happens you go back, you start playing the programs and the honeymoon's gone, baby. It was all blah, 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 like it was before you got here. And now it's back. Uh, and there's a secret into that because it says 
Well, anytime you stop playing the program, you can have heaven on earth. If it's mm. that, then why am I playing the program? Because you don't even know you have the damn program. That's why you're playing the program. <laughs> mm. I want to be super respectful of your time. I could uh, say talk to you all day. Um, but Dr. Bruce Lipton, it's been an honor and privilege to hear some of your stories. Um, very, very grateful for your time, my friend. Ryan, I am more thankful because, as I said, you're bringing together some people so uh, the message can go a little further. Everybody, anyone who picks up the message is moving from the conventional world into the creative world. That's what it's all about. You are a creator. You've been told that by religion and everything. I don't care, but you're not paying attention. And if you're not paying attention, all you do is live in the world of the program of fear and you're scared and I'm weak and I have no power. And I go, that's a program, my friends. Mm -hmm. Out of it, we all start walking free. And when we walk free, evolution is the consequence of that because imagine several, eight billion people creating not the world of blah, 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 but seven or eight billion people all of a sudden wake up and it's honeymoon. They mm -hmm. all wake up going, oh my God, life is beautiful. I love my life. Oh, it's beautiful. Blah, blah. Evolution. There it is. Love it. Take care, my friend. Thank you so much, Ryan. So deeply appreciate being with you. There we go. That concludes part two of episode 163 with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Wow, there's just so much wisdom, so much wisdom that no doubt has expanded our hearts and our minds. And my ask of you is to continue this conversation. No doubt there will be um, things that you'd like to take away, the things that you've learned and the things that you'd like to implement. I'd love to know what your top takeaways are. And I'd also like to know what questions you have unanswered. Let's continue. This is a two-way conversation. Make sure you message, you reach out, you you email or, or DM me, whatever you choose to do. Let's keep this a, a two-way conversation. Please do invite others into that conversation. Share this far and wide with those like-hearted and like-minded human beings. And if you'd like to watch the interview, please head to our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to make sure that you do not miss our episode next week. Next week, I will be resharing one year on the episode with Oscar-winning actor Matthew McConaughey. If you've enjoyed this episode so far, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I really look forward to sharing time and space with you next week. But most of all, I appreciate you being here with us. Always love, my friends. <laughs>